0: Troy Swanson, I'm the library department chair. I'm happy to welcome Ronel Whitaker and Eric Callenborn. Um They're both local educators. Um, Ronel is District 218, you said, kind of floating everywhere. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll go over them. that? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and Eric is at Oaklawn. They'll talk about what they do. But the thing that I'm, I'm really, they've been really good, really supportive of the things that we're doing and I'm really proud that they're like in our area because they really are national leaders and thinking about um, how comics impact kids, especially comics, but other things we're going to learn, and also how educators can do more with the mediums that, um, that students are engaging with. So I, I'm really happy that their voices are part of this discussion and happy that they're giving us um, their time today. So with that, thank you both for being here. Thank you all for being here. I'll turn it over to you. Thank you. So yes, I'm Eric
1: and I'll talk a little bit about myself first, turn it over to Mr. Whitaker. I have been a teacher on the South Side for 15 years now. I started at Shepherd High School, taught, student taught there, taught at Lockport High School for two years, taught at Shepherd High School for 12 years, and now I am at Oaklawn Community High School. Uh, I am the department chair of art and music, and I also teach English. It's a very unique position. I love it. So I wanted a job where I could support educators as well as students, so I kind of wanted to move into the administration role. I've uh, been presenting on comics in the classroom, multiple literacies in the classroom all over the country for about the past seven years. I am at the other comic And uh, social media handle is uh, comics underscore teacher. That's that's where my you can find me on Twitter and Instagram, and I post lots of cool educational stuff. I do every Sunday. I try to do every Sunday. The teacher's very busy. Uh, I try to do uh, Sundays for Teacher blog post every Sunday night on my website where I kind of just reflect upon my week of teaching and being an administrator and kind of sometimes vent, sometimes ins- try to inspire, but that's every Sunday night. New content, so you can check that out.
2: Mr. Whitaker? Uh, I'm Rhino Whitaker. I am the current uh, English department chair for District 218, uh, so that's uh, Richards High School uh, Eisenhower High School and Shepherd and Delta. Um, but I've been teaching for 15 years as well. I started on the west side of Chicago for two years and then I taught at Eisenhower for about 10. Then I was an instructional coach at Richards for three years and now I have this new job. Um, Eric and I have been presenting about comics and other literacies around the country, like you said, for quite a while now. Um, and one of the things that I found most interesting is like crowds like this are getting much uh, much more bigger they want people coming to actually uh, talk about how important, using things like graphic novels and games and other uh, kinds of media in the classroom, um, how important that is. So I, I'm really just uh, encouraged that y'all showed up today.
1: If you have any questions, as we go on to or want to add anything, just throw your hand. It was kind of an interactive experience. So we, we don't want you to forget a question you have uh, until the end. We will have some time for questions at the end. But please, as we go, if you want to know anything or if something like pops into your head. Raise your hand, we'll get you into the conversation. So the first thing we're going to talk about is why we focus on multiple literacies and what we mean by when we say multiple literacies. We just mean basically teaching with things that aren't the typical literacies, just books and textbooks. We try to incorporate as many things as possible. And number one is to increase student engagement. We want to get students as engaged in our classrooms as possible. Um, I talk a lot about Student ownership and student choice. And in my classroom, I like to allow the students to create assessments, to create their assignments, and have a a part and ownership in what those things look like. I will try to never say, this is the assessment, this is what you're doing, black and white, that's it. Because that is one of the quickest ways to kind of decrease student engagement. So allowing student choice is by far at my pinnacle of things I want to do, and one of the ways
2: to do that is to be able, open to using multiple literacies. Yeah, um, we also want to meet students where they are, and uh, the, the problem with that phrase sometimes is there's this assumption that meeting someone where they are is almost like you are lowering your standards. But the idea is this, basically boils down to, um, whenever you use a map, right, you gotta know where you are before you know where you're going. So it makes sense to calibrate your classes and the sources that you use to Okay, I know where my kids are starting, now let's build them up to a place we want them to go. So comics are, and a lot of different, uh, sorry, literacies, are great for meeting students where they are to be able to take them where we want them to go. Um, back to the student ownership and increased student choice part, one of the things that I found probably most helpful is it's empowering to students. The idea that they feel like, um, not only did they have a choice in the classroom, but they have a choice in, in their learning. When students are aware of what they uh, are supposed to be learning, they have an idea about choosing where they wanna go, it's a lot more um, likely that they'll actually buy into what you're trying to do. And not even buy in, I hate the term buy in. They'll commit to what you're asking them to commit to. So the idea that if I know that you know, this is where I need to go and I have these multiple pathways to get there and it's not just this one way to get to that place, then it's easier for me to make the commitment to getting there with you as my teacher.
1: And trying new technologies is also a really big push in, in, in education these days. Uh, I have, we'll talk about this in a second, we get into like music and audio. I have podcasted in my classroom quite a bit in the past, and I've had a lot of success with that. But before I did that, I didn't know how to do that, right? And whenever we try anything new, we don't know how to do it before we know how to do it. And with the help of friends, and, and Mr. Whitaker helped me a lot with that, kind of figure out how to do that. I was able to expand the technologies I use in my classroom. And it always looks good to an administration when you're the teacher kind of exploring with new technologies in the classroom. Um, We we went to a a talk. We had a keynote speaker in our district a few years back. And I don't remember a lot of what was said at that speech, but I do remember this one thing he had said. And he was working with a district that was trying to go paperless. And he told the principal, he's like, you really want to go paperless? And she's like, yes, I really want to get these teachers to go paperless. And he's like, get rid of all the copy machines. He's like, you get rid of all the copy machines, they will have no choice but to go paperless because there will be no paper. And the thought, like, you could hear the teachers gasp, like, oh my God, you want to take the copy machines away? But what a brilliant kind of idea in that way where it's like, you don't want to do this, you don't want your teachers to do this, get rid of all of this, and then force them to kind of be creative. I'm glad we never got rid of our copy machines. But at the same time, that idea is still interesting to me. And I think being open to using these multiple literacies forces you to get creative with new technologies.
2: So let's get into some of these.
1: All right. As we discuss, we want you to keep in mind some things. All right? Open-minded. We've got to be open-minded when we talk about discussing multiple literacies. And you've got to not hug yourself. Hugging yourself means this. You can't always teach things that you love if your students don't give a dang about it, okay? I've tried that multiple times where you're inspired by a book or a movie or a game and you're like, this is the best thing I've ever done. My kids are going to love it. And then you bring it to the classroom and none of them care. And you feel like your world is crumbling, like they don't love what I love. That's okay. Like, they don't have to love what you love. And once you realize that you should create your assessments and your assignments around what your students love, that's when you'll see a lot more engagement. So it's hard sometimes to not hug yourself. I tell this story about how I brought the game Magic the Gathering into the classroom at one point because I love it. And I was like, I got Wizards of the Coast to donate all these cards to me. I brought them into my kids. They were, I'm like, gave them out to them all. I'm like, this is going to be the greatest thing I've ever done. Oh my god, I'm teaching with Magic the Gathering. And like half my kids immediately were like, I don't give a damn about dragons. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no, you don't care about this thing I love so much. So that really taught me to kind of like see what they like, what are their interests, and kind of meet them there. Not all of this is going to work for all of you in your classrooms. Uh, We have people going into, like, multiple disciplines, and some of the things we'll talk about will focus on English, and some will focus on multiple uh, disciplines, and and some won't work for everything. So keep that in mind as we go. But there will be tidbits for everybody to take away.
2: Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Um, I also want to just, I want to continue there. So, like, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, We're not going to give you everything. It would be kind of boring for us to talk for an hour and I have y'all say something to us. So we can't give you everything. But also, um, you know, we're old, man. Like, y'all, y'all are gonna be a little bit more connected with, like to newer things, I would think, and different ways to think about stuff. So we may think that something's great, but then you may have another access point to it. Also, um, I wanna speak to number four, find people to discuss things with. Teaching, education in general, is a very isolated thing to go into. It's very easy to say, I'm gonna go in my room, and just close the door and not worry about what happens outside of the door. Um, But one of the things I found that kind of saved me as an educator was connecting with folks via uh, Twitter. Like That's been like my saving grace for me. Um, Twitter can be very awful, but there's some really cool stuff on there when you talk about growing your professional learning network with other teachers, um, really connecting with people who have ideas outside of my own, and honestly it's been a place where I've learned and grown the most. Uh, Because I've been exposed to ideas and resources uh, through that that I would not have otherwise had I just going to close my door and talk by myself. I just found something on Twitter yesterday. I was scrolling through. And this
1: educator, somebody was talking about how they had a problem in their classroom. It was a, a, um, a discipline problem they were having in their room. And this one educator reposted this article. He's like, I read this book and it changed my life. And I was like, oh, great, another one of those. And then I started reading, like, the description of the book. I'm like, this sounds really good. <laughs> I'm like, this book sounds like it might change my life. Uh, and I ordered it on Amazon because it sounded really interesting. But I might not have ever heard of that book unless the dude on Twitter is like, educators, try this.
2: What you meant to say was you went to your local library and got that book.
1: No, I, I'm, I, no. I'm donating it to the local library and then checking it out. <laughs> so I'm giving money to everybody. Nice.
2: That's how you do that. <laughs>
1: Want to get started? Yeah, I'll get started. So one of the literacies we're going to talk about is gaming. I'm a gamer. I, I was a huge video gamer for a long time. Not as much anymore, but I still tabletop game. I still play card games, uh, role-playing. Just I love games. Games are what the glue that makes this world go round. right? When we're playing, we're just having fun. So we're going to throw out some stuff that we've done in the classroom, some gamification of the classroom, just to give you some ideas. I have a classroom games library, and sometimes... Like this past Friday with my freshmen, we just played games. I have Jenga in there, I have Uno in there, I have games that are simple to learn, that the kids love to play. And sometimes we just play games to build the community in that classroom, to kind of go around. I play the games with the kids to kind of build the relationship with them. Everybody's having fun. And you know, the most, one of the biggest times where there's no cell phones out in my classroom is when games are being played. Because when we're playing games, we forget about having to, to have something else to do. Uh, a group of 10 kids sitting around a table playing Uno, high school kids, and no phones out is a huge deal. And I find that that works amazingly. I have a blog post. If you, if you go to my website, like I said, theothercomicbookteacher.com, and just type in uh, top games or games, I have a blog post that I created that was like top five games you want to have in your classroom just for like enrichment purposes or even you can work in, educational purposes for those. But I, I wrote a blog about that. Video games, Ronald and I are going to talk about a couple kind of overarching things. Has anybody ever heard of Classcraft? Classcraft, is I haven't. You've heard of it? <laughs> Did it work well? I never really understood what they were doing. Okay. Yeah, it's basically like an RPG for your classroom. So the kids create an avatar, and they role play the class. And teachers create what the, uh, um, the goals are, and the adventures are, and the achievements are. And it's like, if you get a certain grade here, you earn this many experience points. And it's just a full on gamification of your classroom. It takes time. Uh, anything good takes time. And you got to build in all of those lessons and what all of the point values are worth and special items are worth. and. Some of the kids may not like it because hugging yourself, right, once again, based on our conversation, you know I'm kind of a nerd already, and you may have no interest in kind of creating this, like, role-playing game for your classroom, but from what I've heard, people that have used it have had great success with just this full-on gamification of their classroom.
2: What it does is it capitalizes on some of the psychology behind, like, gaming, right? Like, so how many of us have any kind of, like, games on our phone? like a few of us do, right? And one of the things that All of you do. (laughs) Come on, let this is an open, this is a safe space. We all have a game on our phone. (laughs) But one of the things that that you probably find about it is like there is no real way to win most of the games we have on our phones. Like it's just a constant escalation of I got more candies crushed or I got more of these words and there's really nothing you can win from it except from from the idea that, that you just accomplished a thing, right? A lot of things that we don't capitalize on in our classrooms is that feeling of accomplishment. It's very, very, very long form. So that, like if a kid writes an essay and they got an A like maybe two weeks later, it's like, oh, I got an A. But if we capitalize on the gamification aspects of that and you can say, all right, this is your essay and you have these five different skill categories that they are working on like really making you strong in. Like you're only at, like level one in writing a, a thesis statement. Like let's like try to pa- practice our thesis statement skills to like achieve level two, unlock level two, unlock is a key word in gaming, right? So the idea that's like, I'm trying to like gain points to unlock different levels, to be a a fifth level essay writer or essay wizard or some weirdness like that. I don't care what you call it, like you can call it uh, donuts and cupcake levels, whatever that is, but the cool thing is, you capitalize on this idea, this need to acquire and this need to say, oh, I've grown in this thing. It's the same thing that people like who go to Orange Theory get. It's like that splat points thing or even Fitbit. It's like, I've got 10,000 steps today. Or at least I fake my arm to make it look like i got 10,000. But it's like, like that's how, how into it that we are. That like We try to find ways to even gamify our lives, right? So why not gamify our classrooms? This is an app I use called Habitica. Um, it's habit, I-C-A. And it's literally like that. It's I put in um, different habits that I want to incorporate different things that I want to accomplish during the day, like my checklist, stuff like that, and I get points for doing that. So like every day I, I make sure that I check off my list because I, then I can say, okay, so a cupcake is worth 30 points. I got to do all of this to get 30 points, so I best believe I'm doing the work to earn that cupcake because I want to make sure I can eat that cupcake later this this week. But it's a thing where it's like, hey, we want to build in these mechanics to kind of capitalize on what kids know. One of the things I talk to my kids about all the time with video gaming and in the classroom is this. Kids will always say, hey, do you, like, just give me the answer to that question, or give me the answer to this thing, or, like, why can't I do X, Y, and Z? And I always tell them, well, like, if you were playing Fortnite, you wouldn't start at level 20, right? Like, you wouldn't start at the highest level. You'd have to build yourself up there. So it's the same thing in this classroom. All we're doing is building you up to level 20, and then you'll get the, the funny gun that let you fly. I don't know think about games, man, I'm sorry. You, none of that, <laughs> you got none of that right. But, <laughs> flying with funny guns. But, the,
1: but there's no level, <laughs> but, the, but your message was there. Yeah, they got it. No, they got it, yeah, absolutely, they got it. <laughs> Have you ever played Fortnite? No. Yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> um, just last week, I gamified even small parts of my classroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were writing some short stories. And I wanted them to be kind of random. So I had a list on my board of characters and locations and items. And they were all numbered 1 through 20. And, and I had like a green 20-sided die, a white 20-sided die, and a blue 20-sided die. And they had to roll all three. And then that was the story they had to write. So they looked at number two, blue 20, white, tw- white 19, and then whatever it was, yellow 15. And they had to write a mailman in the apocalypse with uh, a puppy. Actually, I want to write that story right now. But that was kind of gamifying that. I didn't really give them the choice. But the idea of what am I going to get? I also, at one point, we do this. This was kind of fun. I didn't mention this last week. We do this um, vocabulary training software, and they have to do 60 minutes a week. And last year, I tried an experiment. and I gave, there was uh, So it's 60 minutes, so an hour. And I gave the kids four 20-sided dice was five or 20-sided dice. And I was like, you can take the 60 minutes, or you can roll all five of these dice and do the minutes that are on all the dice, just to see how many of them would do it. Because they could get 100 minutes, right? And almost every single kid wanted to roll the dice instead of just take the 60 minutes. And half of them had to do more minutes than they would have done. One kid got like. 14 minutes and he just celebrated like crazy. (laughs) But this idea of just the wanting to try something new and taking that risk, there's a lot about that sort of chance we can work in that just adds a layer of interest into the classroom as well. Any
2: questions about any of this stuff? Any questions or comments about games?
1: Maybe. Okay. yeah, please do.
2: Because we're getting into music.
1: Yeah. Yeah and audio.
2: So do you wanna, you wanna jump yeah. off on this one? The first thing I wanna start off with, um, one of the things I learned like later as a teacher, which kinda sucks like now I'm not in the classroom as much anymore, is using music as a way to manage um, behavior and movement in my classroom. So like one of the things I started doing towards the end of the year, or towards the end of my time in class, um, I would have music playing during passing periods. So that when kids come into the classroom, there's a song already playing. And here's the funniest thing that happened with that. So like, they come in, they, you know, be talking to their friends and they, you know, whatever they wanna do when they come into a classroom. A lot of y'all are like not too far removed from high school. And then, they didn't even listen for the bell. Like once the song was over and it was quiet, they knew it was time to get to work. It was like this weird Pavlovian thing that kind of built into them like, oh, the song is over. That must mean it's time to listen to Mr. Whitaker now. And it was like kind of weird at first when they were quiet, I was like, oh, I, I guess I have to start teaching now. But it was cool because normally after the bell rang, it would be, all right, everybody quiet down, let's get to work, but like now, that little music cue in the background helps. So then I started to think like, well, how else could I use music as like a, a timing cue? So I started, instead of using like um, a timer, like a watch on the, the screen, I would just have like four, five, six, seven minute songs, I would just let those play. And then again, when the song is over, the kids knew, like, oh, it's time to, like, we're done discussing, or it's time to transition to the next um, group. Something just as simple as that. And then I started to, like, like up the ante even more. So I said, okay, what would happen if, like, I found a way to let kids pick the music, right? So I started to build in some of that gamification stuff where it was like, all right, if you got X amount of points on the quiz, then you get to pick our playlist for the week. And then those kids could, like, come in every day knowing that, like, the music that they picked was playing, and it was like a nice buy-in or commitment into what we're doing in the class, and it was easy. It was I didn't have to do anything simple or uh, dumb except like sign up for a Spotify account and just start playing music. And uh, it was one of those things that was, I think, that really changed the way my, my class was managed after that. You didn't check your CDs out from the library? <laughs> no, no, what I would do was I would actually buy a hard drive full of MP3s and then donate that to, <laughs> yes. is that how that works? That's no? how it works, okay. that's exactly how it works. Um, What about podcasting? You do something really cool with podcasting. Yeah,
1: podcasting, I I got into it because um, I wanted to try to create, I had this idea, I taught AP language a few years back, and I wanted to create a podcast where it was like the kids doing a, the idea came from the kids doing a Socratic seminar discussing a prompt from the college board from the AP language test in Socratic seminar, just talking about it. And I was like, this is a podcast. Socratic seminars are just podcasts. So I had this idea that I was going to create a a YouTube channel, and I did. It's called The Ape for AP English, and I had my friend draw this cool ape logo holding an English book, and we started recording kids talking about AP prompts, and we recorded it, and then I would edit it, and by edited, I basically mean I I got some my friend makes music, so he created like an intro song and an outro song for me, real simple music, kind of lo-fi hip-hop stuff. I talked over the intro. I was like, hey, thanks for coming, or thanks for listening. Uh, today, these are my students talking about the 2015 AP language prompt, the uh, you know Socratic or the uh, locovore essay, blah, 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 blah. And then I introduced my kids, and then I would just have them talking about it in there. And then I would have a small outro. And everyone was like 35 to 45 minutes. But what I found was the kids liked listening to it. But more than that, other teachers from other schools were interested to hear what others, how other kids were talking about these AP language prompts. And it wasn't hard to do. So I started making podcasting be an option for assessment. So in my film, I taught a film and lit class for like three years. Instead of writing an essay, the kids could do a podcast about a particular film topic. And they had to create the questions first. So they had 10 questions that they were going to talk about. They had to write out their answers to those 10 questions. So there was that writing component. And then they recorded a 35 to 45-minute podcast using those questions. And I would host. So I would host the podcast, and the kids would all contribute to their podcast. And their grade would basically be, maybe 25% on their written questions, and then 75% on their performance on that. Did they contribute enough? Were they responding to the other people on the podcast with them? And it worked fantastically. The kids were totally into it. They were like, can we do like blogs? Can we do vlogs? I'm like, no, slow down. I'm like, I'm just figuring out the audio stuff. We'll get to video at another time. But those were still one of the most interesting, and engaging assignments I had ever done. And And you can get all the computers You basically get in these schools. We can record really good audio now, and you can get a really nice mic that can sit in the middle of a table and record everybody for relatively cheap now.
2: Maybe like fifty bucks for like a really good microphone. You can just use your phone, honestly. Like there are people who full-on use their phones for podcasts now. Like we have such access to being publishers and creators that it feels like we're doing our kids a disservice by not allowing them to do that.
0: If I can just interrupt and give a quick commercial, since we have Moraine Valley students in the audience, our library checks out podcast kits, They're so little backpacks that have a nice MP3 recorder and four microphones, and our library also will host student podcasts for you. So if this is something that you're interested in exploring and understanding the technology, we absolutely can help you do that. We have Audacity on all of our computers to do audio editing, so um, it's at your fingertips if you're interested.
1: I would love to see what one of those kits looks like, like at what's in it. That, yeah, that would be fantastic.
2: One of the things that I we talked about with podcasting too is the idea that you, whatever essay or whatever, um, you know, project rubric you were going to use for like a written or a physical one, you can apply that to an audio podcast. So if like when when I would have kids do podcasts, the essay rubric was the same. Like the kids just had to hit each one of those standards, Um, and it wasn't difficult to grade them at all. I mean, not that grade to the end all be all, but. The ability to to tell them where they were on those skills was pretty easy. Um, And what's
1: the like, if you think about it, a podcast, if you're like, yeah, but they're not writing. Are they writing? Well, what's the difference if somebody records a podcast in a classroom or just does a text or speak to text? Like, that's the same thing, right? So if I'm sitting in front of my computer with some awesome voice recognition software, and I'm speaking my essay, and it's typing it, that's kind of what I'm doing when I'm discussing the essay. Uh, and what I found, too, as well, when students speak about their work, it sounds better than their writing is. Because yeah. we, we, when we write, we tend to have this thing where we try to sound smarter than we are. Like, we all do it. So it sounds weird. You're like, this sentence doesn't sound right. I don't know how to fix it. Submit. But if we're, but, uh, So whenever I see that and I ask a student, well, what did you mean here? Well, I meant that the protagonist was having a hard time because uh, this person was blah, blah, blah that sounds great, write that. Yeah, but just write that. And if you have a hard time, record it, and then transcribe what you, what you said. So the audio there helps a lot of us become better writers.
2: Um, outside of an English class, one of the things I found when I would tell people about using uh, music as a gateway or hook for the intended learning, um, it's very easy if you are like a math, biology, uh, gym, all these disparate like, or, uh, disciplines, you could use a song or a audio clip as a way to hook kids into what the topic of the day was. So it could be very simply, like, if you're going to be discussing something around you know, a historic event, I mean, there are songs for everything. I mean, literally, there's a, even if it's like tangentially, you can find a thing that hooks them into that. Um, there are people with, we, we have a, a book that we teach in our district now that I brought in called My Friend Dahmer. It's about Jeffrey, do y'all know who Jeffrey Dahmer is? Okay, so if you don't know who he is, Google him, he ate people. So Jeffrey Dahmer, Jeffrey Dahmer. like we have this comic book that we use in our, in our, our classes, and one, one of our teachers brought in a Katy Perry song where she mentions Jeffrey Dahmer, which is like crazy, but like it was a way to get her kids hooked into the idea of what they were going to be talking about. And again, it could have nothing to do with what you're, what you're doing that day, or it could be very close, and you just use it as a way to get kids, just get their brains primed for the work of the day. Really easy way to do that.
1: Ah, film. Okay, so before we kick off this, I got a short clip to show. Hopefully, I can uh, get this working here. Yay. Some of you may have seen this before. If not, I want to kick this off here. Have you seen this? that's it you can't see it it's hard to see at the end there when he's just kind of staring at it and then it kind of goes blank now it's a pretty powerful little five-minute video and for any of you who have ever known uh, anybody in your life to dealt with addiction I'm sure this is pretty obvious the metaphor here and what's happening um, this video though is one of a whole library of short five to seven minute minute videos that I have at my disposal that I can use to kind of introduce any concept or idea I want. So if I'm introducing a story with a thematic element of, of addiction, if I am in any other discipline that is dealing with those sorts of ideas, or I just want to kick off class with a really interesting conversation on a Monday morning, I may start with this, throw it on, and then just have a discussion about what does this mean. Let's analyze the colors, the music, the sounds, all of those things. Because in this age, video, little short video clips like this that are that engaging still work to capture student interest. They still do. Now, granted, we're fighting with screens on the daily, right? What we have to show has to be more engaging than the cell phone, which is really hard because on this thing, you have everything. Right? Why do I care about what you're saying when everything in the world is right here? And that, unfortunately, is a struggle. So to be able to have these kind of cool little videos to show really
2: helps. One of the ways I like to incorporate film in my class is, again, I'm all about making people producers and not just consumers. So the idea that kids can create these same types of things I think is fascinating to me. Um, one of the easiest ways to incorporate film in your classroom is to give a kid the opportunity to make their own film to demonstrate their learning. So it could be as simple as an interview project. Um, I like to have kids do process videos though. Just the idea of like how to do something. And then here's the tricky part about being a teacher that's really cool. If you trick kids into making process videos about how to do something, then guess what you have to be able to use next year in your classroom? Videos to show someone how to do something. Because you had kids do the work for you. But also they have examples of like what to look forward to. What I found is kids will look at that work and either find a way to either adapt it themselves or to make it better for someone else again. Um, and again, you know, we have students right now, and y'all are probably in that same category just like we are, where we learn a lot from watching short videos. Like I'm not going to go look up like a video on how to make, you know, the perfect steak, but I'll go on Instagram or something and look up like tasty videos, like oh, that's how I make that that perfect thing. So. It's one of those things where we have to figure out how to like capitalize on that, and I think that's what we've figured out how to do. In our district, and I think both our districts, we are one-to-one with iPads, so we lean a lot on like making film and uh, making video and using those tools that way. Um, but even something as simple as just, hey, just can you videotape how you do this math problem so that you can share this to the other class or the other kids so they can figure out, oh, that's how you actually work on that? Or can you videotape like what it looks like to perform this kind of move in a gym class, like it's that simple. Kids get that, um, again, that choice, they get that voice, and they get that um, ability to create, which is I think paramount above all things.
1: Flipping the classroom is really big too. We have a, a couple math teachers in our district that record all of their lessons, like video record all their lessons, and that's the homework, is to watch the video. And then in class, it's just going over the homework. So nothing is being taught technically in class, it's all being taught in the homework video that they have to watch in preparation to, to kind of go over that homework in class, which I find really interesting. Oh, man, I was going to say something, and I totally forgot what it was. Uh, the idea, oh, this idea of, like, YouTube can teach you anything, all right? When I was going in to teach English, I was real nervous because, bless you, I forgot how to use semicolons and colons, and I was just like, I didn't know if I forgot, it was just like maybe I was never really taught all of the semicolon and colon rules, and I was nervous because I was like, oh man, I'm teaching honors kids. They're gonna know how to use semicolons colons. First of all, no, they didn't, but I was still nervous. So I watched YouTube. I was like, YouTube, semicolons, colons. What do we got? Right? And I found so many three minute videos and by a half hour I was like, I got this. So that's one thing we need to think about as well. It's like what what can you find on what can you find on here that you're doing in your classroom? Right, that can save you time. And another thing too is like, as, as more and more amazing videos get posted to the internet of people showing people how to do things, and students and us getting used to going to the internet to learn how to do things. I go to the internet to learn how to cook all the time, to the point where it's I go Duolingo to learn Spanish. I don't need to take a Spanish course, although I should take it at Marine Valley Community College. But I don't like that. There are apps that allow us to learn all of these things now. What do you have to add to the classroom that a student can't just go to YouTube and learn? And I'm not, like, that's just an existential question that's just gonna get bigger and bigger as we rely on the internet through film to learn things.
2: Uh, One last thing on film. Uh, If you are someone who wants to use film in your class, I wanna free you of one obligation. You don't have to show the whole movie. You don't have to do that. Like, if there's literally five minutes of that thing that you want those kids to get, then just show the five minutes. They'll get over it, it'll be fine. You don't have to spend three days on a movie where really all you cared about was five minutes of that. So there's free yourself from some of those obligations. Like even with, with books, there's a thing where like people feel like I gotta teach the whole novel. Like, no, you don't. I mean, what about this one part that's really great? Teach that. And then you can get, get yourself the freedom to do other things beyond that too. Students will be upset though. I
1: showed the opening. One of the best, I think, I'm a big horror movie fan for any of you who like horror movies. The, the best PG-13 horror movie of all time is The Ring. Like, I think that movie is, like, for a PG-13 horror movie, it's scary. It's brilliant. But the opening scene of that movie I showed to teach, like, tone and mood and exposition. And my students were just, they it was a week ago. And every day is like, we watched the rest of the movie today? We watched the rest of the movie? No. No. We just watched the opening scene. No. So, yeah, I agree with Ronell, But just know there's going to be backlash if you show something awesome and you're not showing the rest of it. Like we don't need to watch this. One girl was like under her desk, cowering. I'm like, I'm not terrorizing people like that. It's <laughs> pretty scary. Ah, oh, comics. This is where we made our big bucks, and by that I mean no money. But hey, we? This, if we did, if Stop we did make money, something. this all of our presentation. When we started presenting uh, nationally about pop culture in the classroom, comics was our bread and butter, and it still really is. The idea of comics and graphic novel in the classroom has just become more important and bigger
2: in the years, right? One of the things I love about comics is it is simultaneously can be used as a support for learners who need access or entry into a topic but can also act as enrichment for kids who are beyond that topic. So one of my favorite examples is I taught in what is primarily ta- uh, called like the at-risk uh, population in, in, at our school. And one of the first books I used with my kids to teach a ton of the different literary devices was Ultimate Spider-Man. And what was crazy is like, it was on my book list. I told kids, like I told their parents, like we're gonna be reading Spider-Man. And uh, and I got like parents every time, like you're gonna be reading Spider-Man in English class? But here's what would happen though. We would read that and I would have my kids who had never finished a book up until then to finish an entire book. And they would have the ability to talk about all the skills that I was talking to, talking about in my class. Then I have those kids who are beyond that who will go, well, what else do you got? Or what else do you have that's similar? And I can get those kids into books that will be more challenging because, again, I've given them this thing, this entryway, this access to everything that I want to teach. And if we take away anything else from us at all from this presentation, the number one thing that you should take away from all these things that we talked about is that all they really do is give learners access to your classroom. And that's the key thing that every kid needs. They need access to learn what you are trying to give them. There are some kids who don't have either the ability or they just don't have the interest to get into what you're teaching them. And when you give them these different access points, it's like you've opened up or unlocked a door for them. And it's our job to not be the ones that are keeping those doors locked. So for me, Spider-Man was that, that door, that, that key that unlocked the door. So I took kids from reading Spider-Man to reading like, full plays, reading Fences, which they would have never read before. And a part of that was A, the access part, but B, they trusted me now. Because it was like, oh, well Mr. Whitaker gives us cool stuff to read, so of course whatever else he puts in front of us is cool, right? I mean, that wasn't true. But they were willing to give me the benefit of the doubt. It was like, okay, well, this one isn't cool, but the next one's gonna be cool, because Spider-Man was cool. So it's one of those things that we use as a way to kind of really get kids that access to our material. This is, we could talk for three hours about comics in the classroom. So just to
1: give you a couple bullet points from my perspective, One, multi-discipline. It's like so many people who grew grew up with us who were into art and drawing, those people are now making amazing graphic novels in all disciplines. Science, math, social studies, all of these things. So if you want a graphic novel to teach in a particular discipline, it exists. And if it doesn't exist, somebody's currently making it. So whatever you teach, whatever you plan on teaching, The material is there for all age levels. And you can contact us, and we can help you find specific titles if you need to. The second thing, there are amazing graphic novel adaptations of classic pieces of literature. And this is a fight that we get into sometimes, less and less as the years go on, but people don't like when we say that you can read a graphic novel of this particular literary book instead of the book. You kind of can. First of all, Shakespeare, like we say all the time, wasn't meant to be read. Shakespeare was meant to be watched, right? Shakespeare didn't write those plays for people to read in classrooms. He wrote them so actors could perform them. Those weren't meant for readers. They were meant for actors. So a graphic novel is the perfect medium to read Shakespeare because you're watching the play. I'll just say that right off the bat, uh, that number one. Secondly, I'm an English teacher, but I will tell you this right now. I would never read Moby Dick. It's 800 pages. I'm not reading Moby Dick. But I read the graphic novel from Dark Horse Comics because I'm like, I want to know this story. I read the Moby Dick graphic novel. Is that it? This is this oh, it's Macbeth. <laughs> so I read Moby Dick, and it took me an hour and a half to get through the graphic novel. And then I'm like, I wonder how well I understood that. I liked it. So I went to Sparknotes, and I took the quiz, that like the comprehension quiz on Sparknotes to see how well I got it. I got an 80% on the quiz. I don't even know if I would have gotten 80% on that quiz if I read the 800-page book. I don't know. I probably would have, like as some of us do just been like my mind would have been spacing out as i was on page like 700. So i thought that was pretty cool. In my AP class, i would have students read the th- so we would read classic literature, but when they had extra time, i would have them reading classic adaptations of graphic novels. And when they wrote about those graphic novels for the AP test, you couldn't tell whether they read they read the regular novel or the graphic novel because they're writing about the themes, the characters, the motifs, the tone, and all of those things come through in the graphic novel. One of those things up there that Brianel was talking about too is you can get through more material. So instead of just reading maybe in an AP Lit class for a semester five novels, maybe I read three and then five graphic novels. So the kids are getting through eight titles in a semester instead of five. There's just ways you can kind of do that. This is where I lean on my library a lot, too, uh, because I could only have so many books in my classroom. But I'm really familiar with my, my library's graphic novel collection. So I'll take the kids down there, and we just explore it. And I've read a lot of the books down there, so I can be a person to help them. Another thing, if you are looking for somebody to offer titles, find somebody in your life that reads comics and graphic novels. Ronell and I are lucky to know a lot of people that read a lot of comics and graphic novels, so we're texting each other all the time. You need to read this book, you need to order this book, and we read those because we have our little cohort of graphic novel readers. Whatever you are into, surround yourself with people that are also into those things, and then you will expand your learning network there.
2: I want to talk about a key word that he just said. He said readers. Here's the thing. I had a parent, a very well-meaning parent, who saw that I was giving kids you know, things like Spider-Man, and she got a book to give to her sixth grader who was coming into our school soon, and she gave that sixth grader Watchmen. Now, what that tells me about that parent is she didn't read that book, because the sixth grader has no business reading that book at all. So you need to make sure that any book, don't make the assumption that a book is easy because it's a graphic novel, and don't make an assumption that a book is Um, good for a certain age group because of graphic novel, because there are books that certain age groups should not be reading, so you should read a book before you put it in front of your students. I also want to say real fast, kind of like speaking to some of those points, um, one of the things I found with graphic novels, at least in in my experience, there are some teachers who will say things like, well, I don't want kids to read graphic novels because they're dessert reading, and I want you to read like a more challenging book. There's a couple fallacies happening there. One is that they're saying that a graphic novel isn't challenging, which when you think about it, a graphic novel, you have to exercise multiple kinds of literacy to even be able to read it. You've got to read images, you've got to read text. In some cases, you have to read things like facial expressions. Like There's a ton of different literacy that's happening. So it is challenging. But secondly, what you've done effectively is if you tell a kid that uh, one kind of book is dessert reading, even if it's not a comic book, even if it's just a book they like reading, then what you've communicated to them is, in my class, we don't read fun stuff. We don't read stuff that you like to read. So, ergo, any connection you're going to make with reading in school is that reading in school is terrible. So what I've gotten a lot of kids in my classes now are kids who've been beaten down by the idea that anything a teacher gives me is not going to be good. I'm not going to enjoy it. I'm not going to get anything from it. Anything I want to read, I'll like. but And that's if I still want to read anything. So I think that's one of the things we're trying to fight back with with this multiple literacy idea is the idea that we can't denigrate things uh, and still expect our kids to commit to what we want them to learn. So we got to be really clear about
1: it. And that's an instance where you can hug yourself a little bit. We're talking going back to this idea of hugging yourself. Because Ronell, when he introduced Ultimate Spider-Man to that class, some of those kids might not have been into superhero books at the time. But that was still more interesting than maybe what would have been given to them somewhere else. So they're like, all right, this is interesting. And then it kind of hooked them into other things. So. You got to pick your battles when you hug yourself, but sometimes, if it's so different than what kids have experienced, it can work amazingly. And there's a, so many like talk about like social emotional learning. If you're going into education right now, like the SEL is massively popular, uh, and you will hear social emotional learning and the importance of it all over the place. There are so many amazing graphic novels, mostly nonfiction, a lot of memoirs, where people are talking about their experiences growing up in X, Y, and Z. That's another thing, too. Not only multidiscipline, but any walk of life you want, there's a graphic novel, nonfiction, that is an amazing book.
2: Yeah, going back to making kids creators and not just consumers, um, you can have kids use comics to explore some SEL topics, really any topic. We read this comic called Something Terrible. It's a 28-page comic. Uh, You can get it online, actually for free, I think, still. Um, And it's about this uh, comic artist who used comics to deal with uh, his past as being a sexual abuse survivor. Um, I taught my kids how to make comics just using Keynote and taking pictures of themselves and being able to put word bubbles on, on those. And again, kids were able to kind of communicate their own stories in a medium that they felt was more accessible to them than say writing an 800 page novel. Yep. So speaking of that, um, I'm, I used to be a, an instructional coach um, and one of the things that I was really invested in is this thing called the four C's, all right? And the four C's comes from a really dumb thing. It, it's supposed to be the, the four C's of 21st century learning. Okay, here's why that's dumb, because it was created in the 21st century, so duh. Just say <laughs> just learning, it's all good. So here are the four things that they kind of identified. the experts have identified as four skills that kids need to be stronger in in order to be um, successful outside of high school and outside of college even. So critical thinking, that's obvious, right? Uh, Creativity is one that's on there and it's kind of tough to teach that but it's one of those things that they want us to focus on. Uh, Collaborating with one another and communication. If you think about all of the areas that we talked about, everything we talked about kind of falls under at least one of those areas. The point is giving kids the, the opportunity to practice all four of those areas so that when they get out of school, they'll be able to apply that in their everyday lives. So we like went straight like bell to bell kinda, but we do have time for questions. Does anybody has any questions or comments? When it comes
3: to assessment in the classroom, do you also try to gamify that? Like quizzes, do you also do
2: like, choice, like virtual gaming? Yeah, I mean the easy, easy way to do that would be stuff like, you know, Kahoot, Quizlet, those are really fun. Quizlet's actually, Quizlet Live is actually really fun um it's free for the most part, Quizlet Live. Uh and it's 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 cool. It's kind of a, a good like not only a review way to, to, to like learn, but also a way to like check where kids understand is and you get like uh, data back from that too. But then there's also like Eric talked about, you can build in those mechanics where um I've had teachers who do something as simple as like have three different cars on the board and you know throughout the year they track progress of three different groups. And that's o- as those cards reach the end of the board, like the card that gets the furthest gets like some prize or something like that. Um, as we move into things like standards-based grading, I think gamification is gonna be really, really interesting because standards allow us to say, to show progress in specific skills, and you can easily g- gamify standard uh, progression.
1: I tend to, uh, gamifying assessments, I haven't really dipped my toe into that very much. I do the, the student choice where the students, are, I have them create their own assessments. Like We work together to create what they want to do for their final assessments. And then we also create what, how they want to be graded on that. So I offer student choice in a lot of that. But we were at a gamification conference last, last summer. And there was this teacher. It was a college professor, though. And I don't know how much you can get away with this in like high school and middle school. But he gamified his entire final. And it was basically like the students in the class came into a room. And it was almost like an escape room. And they had no idea what was going on. And they had to figure out what he wanted them to figure out. And he was videotaping all of it, taking notes on how they the things they said and the things they did and how well it related to the things they learned that semester. And it was amazing and interesting. I think it would fall flat on its face in my classroom. I think if I just my kids came into my classroom and there was like this this giant tower with like drawers and, and panels and symbols on it, they'd, be, they'd just sit down and go on their phones. Like, I don't think they would try to engage with it, but that idea of just like creating an escape room, watching what happens, and then monitoring to see if they use the things they learned that semester. is just next level. It's yeah, they, next they level. They ended up
2: at his house for dinner, the ones who like, figured it out who passed the final. They ended up at his house for dinner. And the ones who didn't figure it out, they didn't do so well. So like I'm nowhere near there, but
1: I, I would love to incorporate more gamification into assessments, final, like big unit assessments. Although you do, in, in schools a lot of the time too, you do run into the wall of, if you're teaching English 1 or Algebra 2, you all have to do the same assessments like per district standards. And then you kind of have to fight back to hopefully break out of that a little bit. But that's also uh, a barrier we see a lot in education. Anybody else? Questions, thoughts? You want to share something? Is there anybody out here who has done something or has seen something that worked that they'd like to share with the group?
3: My son, uh, he loves comics. He's nine, and he loves writing comics. And he's probably written, so he was up at six this morning because two of his friends want a copy of his latest
1: one. So he was up this morning trying to... Drawing copies? Yes. Oh, man. But what I love about it,
3: Yeah. I think there's a lot to be set for them, um, really at any age level, um, is what I'm learning.
1: Cool. As, well, cool. as a parent,
3: I'm not even in the classroom, I mean, I teach here, but uh, it, it's really amazing what he's doing. With That's that. really he's good. got all these kids.
2: A
1: comic yeah. and got excited Very cool. well thank you all right we're past news and thank you all for coming if you yeah, thank you if you have any questions or want to talk to us about anything we'll be around for a couple minutes come on up and we appreciate you being here thank you